0: Okay, well, <laughs> uh, we're going to have Brianna come and read the Bible for us, so she... I'll
1: <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Brianna, um, I'm a first year nutrition student, and um, I'm going to do the Bible reading today, and it's on the inside of your canvas. comes from Acts 13, 1-13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of the name, opposed opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil, the enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord.
2: Good to see you here, uh, especially if it's your first time with us. And I'm wondering whether my mic is on or not. Does it sound like it's on? doesn't sound like it's on. Do I need to do something? I'm doing this for recording purposes. Oh, I'll click the switch. That might be a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. So it's great, especially if it's your first time with us. Uh, we just heard something of what we call Jesus Weeks so in the last week, in which uh, a number of people went out and shared this message of Jesus with others, and it may be that you're here because of that, or you just happen to have stumbled upon us this very week. Either way, it's so good to have you with us. What I'm going to do is actually uh, ask God to help me teach this portion of Scripture to you faithfully, given that is His Word, and then we're going to see what we can do together. So please join me if you're the praying kind. Just us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather here uh, on our lunchtime uh, to hear a part of your word, uh, both read and taught. And as we listen to it, please so speak to our souls that we might respond in a manner that is pleasing to you. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Andrew and Sarah Lubbock, together with their children, served as missionaries in Italy for almost 10 years, and they shared the earth-shattering news of Jesus with university students in Florence, university students just like you. Except because they were Italian, they were probably more fashionable. But that's, that's beside the point. <coughs> in their first three-year term in Florence, they got lots and lots of encouraging emails, stacks of them. But there was one that actually stood out from all the others. This is what it said. I cannot believe that you are so bigoted, so arrogant, so conceited that you can think that you can go to another country that is not your own and call people to change the way they live, what they think and what they believe. And I invite you to come back to Australia immediately. How would you have responded to that email if you were Andrew or Sarah? Perhaps you might even agree with those sentiments. You're here checking things out regarding Christianity, and it does seem a little, somewhat arrogant to ask
1: someone to change their lives,
2: doesn't it? And what right do they have to go to another country to tell people about Jesus, who calls on people to turn back to Him? What right? What right do I have on this campus to do likewise? Well, you see, that's what we have in front of us here today in the text of Scripture that was just read out for us. There were people going to another country, going to other cultures to proclaim the news of Jesus. These people are what Christians call missionaries. Now if you have joined us for the first time, we do meet weekly in this room at this time to look at a portion of the Bible and the part of the Bible we're looking at is called Acts or the Acts of the Apostles and the big story of the book of Acts is that in God's timing, Jesus will establish his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. In God's timing... Jesus will establish his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. That's the big story of the book of Acts. And it started back in chapter 1 when the apostles asked Jesus if he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And the answer that Jesus gave, in part, was to commission his apostles, his then 11 disciples, so that they replaced the 12th, who was Judas, who suicided, but he commissioned his apostles to be witnesses to his kingship, beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, which is one region, and then to the ends of the earth. And the kingdom, as we see through the book of Acts, if you haven't been with us, that's exactly kind of what happens, right? The kingdom was being restored, Firstly, we see the Holy Spirit of Jesus poured out from heaven upon his people in chapter 2 to show that Jesus is Lord of the nations. And this news of Jesus spreads throughout the book of Acts. It spreads primarily because of (coughs) persecution. In the first six or so chapters, they're in Jerusalem, and the word of God goes out amongst the people, amongst the Jewish people. they're But by the time you get to chapter 7, there's a guy by the name of Stephen who is actually martyred, right? He's stoned to death because he is telling people about Jesus.
0: And then there is a great persecution
2: that takes place and people flee, Jewish believers flee to Judea, Samaria, right, that one region, and then to what will be known as the ends of the earth. But they're there spreading (laughs) the word of God as they're persecuted and going along. And at first, they share it exclusively with Jewish people But that was never God's intention. The Jewish people were meant to be a channel of blessing for the nations. And so the person who especially championed this message to go to the nations was a person who was, well, initially approving of the murder of Stephen. A guy by the name of Saul. But Saul was miraculously converted on the Damascus Road. He was temporarily blinded by Jesus And Jesus said of this Saul that he is to be my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, before the nations, before the kings, before the children of Israel. And what we see here in chapter 13, so I've just been going through the story so far, what we have here in chapter 13 is Saul doing this, taking this earth-sharing news of Jesus to the nations. And it's here that we learn that Saul's other name is Paul. It was actually in verse 9 of our reading. It's Paul. And from here on in, he's always known as Paul. And what we have effectively is the first (coughs) intentional overseas mission in history. It's before your very eyes in chapter 13, the very first one where they proclaim Jesus intentionally as missionaries to other people groups. So what did Paul's first missionary journey involve? Well, firstly, it involved commissioning in a place called Antioch. We've got a map here of Antioch. So this is ancient Syria, kind of modern Turkey is where you can see that blue outline. And Antioch is there in the red, right, in the top left-hand corner, and there you have uh, these other famous cities that we'll go of today, but Antioch is right there. <coughs> Back in Antioch in ancient Syria, there was this mega generous church where Paul and his mate Barnabas had taught for a year or so together with other prophets and teachers. It was this mega generous church because they initially sent Paul and Barnabas with a gift to go down to Israel, down to Jerusalem, which is kind of down here if you go to the map. They go down to Jerusalem to help them out because there was a great <laughs> famine there. and They helped them out with all their generosity. So it was a mega-generous church helping relief efforts there in Jerusalem. You'll learn about that in chapter 10, in verse 27. But this church was not just mega-generous. It was mega-cultural, multicultural. Have a look in your sheets in chapter 13. Write the first sentence there, the small number one, where it <laughs> says, now there were in the church at Antioch, this Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now these people came from Cyprus, Africa. Cyrene and Tarsus, to start off We've like got Saulus from Tarsus. These are different cities, different regions around the Middle East, but it's a multicultural church. And it was at this church where the believers were first called Christians. We learnt that in chapter 11, verse 26. We're reading history, guys. Isn't this amazing? First missionary journey, first called Christians, this church in Antioch. It's an amazing place. And it was this church that sent the first missionaries. So you go back to verse 2, the small number 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Right? It's the first missionary sending church, so to speak, after Jesus rose from the dead. If you ever want to name a church after another church, Antioch's a great name. It's better than St. Basil's, isn't it? Or better than Church by the Lake, or or New Horizons. or I looked up some names on the internet. There's another one that's called, wait for it, The Nest of Love. (laughs) Do (laughs) you like that one? You know, Nest of Love. Well, there's another one. It's my favorite of all time. Second Chance Church. What's a Second Chance Church? I don't like this church. I've got a Second Chance Church because that's a church I'm going to do better at. You're not going to have any other chances but at the Second Chance Church bizarre names are they? If you want to go for a good name that's named after a good church Antioch's not a bad one. Because Antioch is a great model of any church. And where do they send the world's first missionaries of Jesus? Look at verse 4. It's more than 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit they went down to Seleucia and from there they set sail to Cyprus. Cyprus. Turns out that Barnabas was from Cyprus, himself from Cyprus. Perhaps he knew that his homeland needed to hear the gospel and that's why they went there first. We don't know for sure, we're not told, but as an aside, who'd better descend to, to their own homeland than the people who come from there knowing their own language, their own culture as missionaries? That's what focus is set up for, by the way, dear friends. No. And course, if we have international students come to know the Lord Jesus Christ returning to their homelands knowing their own language, their own culture what better missionary can you send than those who know their own situations with the great news of Jesus but they go to Cyprus what happens in Cyprus well here's a map just to get our bearings so they're in Antioch right they sail across to Cyprus, so it's an island. Eventually we go up, we'll find out about there, but just look at Cyprus. There's Salamis and then there's Paphos, so they go through the whole island of Cyprus in due course. But they, uh, let me show it to you from the verses in verse 5. Two. So come down to small number 5 there. When they arrived at Salamis, right, that's the first point in Cyprus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, right, that's the bottom of that Cyprus, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas the magician, which is the other name for this bar Jesus, right? Elimas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now here's a cameo of much that will take place in the subsequent narratives for the Apostle Paul. Right? It's, it's a typical pattern, and it's brought to you by the letter M. So listen carefully. Firstly, there's a ministry to Jews. And secondly, there's a memorable engagement with an interested Gentile. And then thirdly, there's mobilized Jewish opposition. Ministry to Jews, then a memorable engagement of some kind, often involving a Gentile, then mobilized Jewish opposition. You'll see that pattern over and over again. Now, here in Cyprus, they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues first, right, in Salamis. Then they go down to Paphos. There's a Gentile Roman governor, right? This this memorable encounter with a Gentile. There's a Roman governor, and he's the governor of the whole island, and he wants to hear about the faith. He wants to hear the (coughs) word of God. But then there's mobilized Jewish opposition here, Represented by this guy named Bar-Jesus, whose other name is Elimus, the magician. He opposes Paul and Barnabas. Now look how they respond to his opposition in that small number 9, verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, right? That's the first time we know his name is Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, at Bar-Jesus, or Elimus the magician. He looked intently at him and he says, verse 10... You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. It's not exactly a... Gentle rebuke, is it? Isn't it interesting that Jesus used blindness to convert Paul, and here, through Paul, Jesus uses blindness to judge the magician? Why? Could it be because the punishment fits the crime? What crime? The crime of turning someone away from the truth is a crime of turning them to darkness. Because truth is light. Untruth is darkness. For Elimus the Magician, or Bar-Jesus, to turn someone away from the truth of Jesus, makes him not a son of Jesus, which is what Bar-Jesus means, son of Jesus, And he's not the son of Jesus. Rather, he's the son of the devil. It is to be an enemy of righteousness, says Paul. It is to be filled with deceit and villainy, says Paul. It is to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You see, the truth of Jesus really matters. It really matters. And when we proclaim the truth of Jesus, why, we will get persecuted. We might get a kind of email that Andrew and Sarah Lubbock got, or something else might happen of greater gravity. You may have had some of that opposition if you went out talking to people about Jesus last week. I don't know. Perhaps on social media. But it happens. Right? But the truth of Jesus really ought to prevail and does. And indeed it prevailed here because by the grace of God, Look what happened to the proconsul. You go to verse 12, the small number 12. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to get you to read it. In, Just read it to yourself silently now. It's only going to take about, what, 15 seconds? You've read it? Talk to your neighbour. Just say hello to whoever it is. Who if you've not met them, and ask them. Just simple comprehension. What happened to the Pro console What happened to the Pro <laughs> Say hello to the person next to you, say hello. Simple comprehension, nothing to be frightened of. No what happened to the Pro <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. I I hope it's fairly straightforward comprehension.
2: (laughs) So, what happened to the proconsul? Anybody? Anybody, maybe this half? Anybody want to share with us this half? He believed. He believed. Why did he believe?
0: He saw the power of God.
2: He saw the power of God. What was he astonished at? The teaching of the Lord. The teaching of the Lord. I thought he would have been astonished at the miracle. But he's actually astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Is this helpful for us to bear in mind here, you see? Because what is going on? The miracle authenticated Paul and his message. But what especially astonished the proconsul was not the miracle, but the message. The message. He believed because of the message he believed because of the teaching of the Lord. Please know that when we share this earth sharing news of Jesus, that's what's going to convert people in the end. The miracles may authenticate that message in some way, and they have done so here in the book of Acts. But when we proclaim the message, it's the message that's going to convert, not the miracle. The miracle. The ultimate miracle is that of people believing because of the message. That's the ultimate miracle. We've got an amazing message here that converts. And what did they teach concerning the Lord? We're not actually told here, but you can bet your bottom dollar that ultimately it was the same as what they taught everywhere they went, even though they taught it from a different angle depending on who they spoke to. If they spoke to Jews, they knew that they had... Uh, a long history to recall and recount because God had spoken to the Jews over and over again, his very own people. But when they came to Gentile people, they couldn't assume any of that knowledge. They share that knowledge in different ways. And we're going to see how that differs this week compared to next week when we look at
1: the different groups of
2: people. Because firstly, they go to another place in Antioch. Have a look at verse 13, small number 13 there. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. This is after the proconsul believed, right? They set sail from Paphos in, uh, in Cyrene, they, and they go north and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, John, who joined them, is John Mark, he leaves them at this point. And we're going to discover at the end of chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas are going to have a big dispute over this guy leaving at this point. Verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, we'll come back. Oh, sorry, verse 15. And the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue (coughs) sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Sorry, yes, these portions of scripture are not printed for you because I couldn't have the whole passage in front of you. But, Now you've seen the words, right? Antioch and Pisidia. We'll just go to the next slide, I'll show you the map again. So they've gone through Cyprus. The proconsul is converted here against the opposition of uh, Bar Jesus. They set sail, they go to Perga, and then they go up to Antioch at the top there, which is in this place called Pisidia. So it's Pisidian Antioch, right? So that's another Antioch. That's different to this Antioch over here. Right? There's a Syrian Antioch, ancient Syrian Antioch. That's the one to name your church after, right? That other Antioch—that's not a great Antioch. Okay, that one's Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs, right? So this 2nd Antioch, Ant—what's the word of God in Pisidian Antioch? What do we learn there? Well, this time is brought to you by the letter R. Okay, so it's recall and reflect. Recall. So what do they recall? What do they recall? Firstly, Paul recalls the history of Israel. Given that he's speaking to a Jewish audience, right? So they know something of what God has done in their history. And we sadly don't have time to read all of it. But in gist, if you're familiar with this, it's we familiar with if you're oh gee, that was a tautology, but if you're familiar with it, you are familiar with it, right? But if you're not, this is just gonna go over your head and it doesn't matter. Just 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 stick with us, right? In gist, he succinctly summarizes the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the exodus out of Egypt, their wandering around the desert for 40 years, their conquest of the Promised Land, right up to the story of David becoming king after the heart of God. goes He rehearses all that history, reading up to David. In other words, he rehearses the storyline of the first 12 books of the Bible in five verses. 12 books of the Bible. You'd rather go to a class with Paul than you would in, in the Old Testament, wouldn't you? But it's five verses. But he summarises it there. So it's the first 12 books of the Bible. Hands up if you think you know the first 12 books of the Bible, just the names of them, just, just roughly. This is not a show-off thing. I just want to have a feel for how, whether we think we kind of know it. Yeah, kind of. Okay, you and I are going to sing a song together, okay? First, like this. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy... Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd, Samuel, 1st and 2nd, Kings. Got it? Okay, those of us who know it, this is a way to get it into the memory. Okay, ready? Sing along with me, everybody. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and second Samuel, first and second. James. Well done, guys. Okay, get it into your system here, right? It's a really good way to remember the first 12 books of the Bible, and that's what he did. In fact, wouldn't that a great way to open this? Imagine Paul saying that, that'd be great. Five verses, 12 books of the Bible, but the key thing in all of that is David. It's all about David. He's the key person in the entire storyline because God made precious promises to David, that he would treat every son who became king in David's line as his own son. So every legitimate king in David's line will become a son of God. Jesus is not the only son of God. Every king in the line of David is. Of course, they fail and Jesus succeeds. But let's pick up the sermon in verse 21, up here. Then they asked, this is the people in the Jewish synagogue asking they are sorry. That's not bad. It, it's what uh, Paul is recounting uh, in terms of the history of Israel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. It's a different Saul, right? First Saul, of the king, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, "I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will." And of this man's offspring, right of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. See, that's what he recalls. right? The ultimate son of God is Jesus, who comes from the line of David. And then having recalled Israel's history, right up to Jesus, Paul goes on to reflect on the momentous significance of these events. We're going to jump down to verse 32 in the slide. So he says stuff about what happens in the life of Jesus regarding his crucifixion. But then he goes on to say in verse 32, and we bring you the good news, right? Good news, that's the word gospel. We bring you the gospel that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. See the word son there? It's so important. What does son mean? Today I've begotten you. He's the son of David, the son of God. You are my son. And as for the fact that he raised him, that's Jesus from the dead, no more to return to corruption, in other words, for his body not to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, which is now Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You will not see his body decay in the grave, in other words. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. His body did decay. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. What's he saying? What's his reflection? And it's, although Jesus fulfilled all the promises of God to David, the Jews crucified him. They treated him as a cursed man. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead to be the son. The son of David. The son of God. And God raised him up to be the Lord and judge of all the earth. The son in, in keeping with Psalm 2. right? You are my son today. I've forgotten you. That son. God raised him up never to die again in fulfillment of Psalm 16. Therefore, you will not let your holy one see corruption. God kept his promises to David, just as he said in Isaiah 55. Even though David himself saw corruption, his body was corrupted in the grave, right? David's, but Jesus's wasn't. God raised Jesus to be the king in the line of David, whose kingdom will never end, the one before whom Every person will bow from every tribe and every language in every nation and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're talking about here. That's his reflection. Given all the history of Israel, so speaking to the Jewish audience, you've got to know that this guy, he's the one who's come up trumps. He's the one who's fulfilled everything that you know about. Because he's risen from the dead. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He has Power, But what does Jesus do with this power? Verse 30, <coughs> Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do you see what he does with his power? he offers forgiveness. He doesn't abuse his power. Why, he serves with his power. And if he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he invites you to ask him for forgiveness if you know that you have rebelled against him as Lord and Savior so I need to ask you, is there anything you know of in your own life that you need forgiveness for? Is there anything? Is there anything in your life that you know that you have really rebelled against Jesus for? I was speaking to someone yesterday who shared with me that one of the big things that has just been driven home to him in the last few months in particular is his pride of his desire to be thought well of and he sought forgiveness from Jesus I don't know what else it could be maybe, maybe it's an addiction to porn or greed sexual immorality of some kind. Please hear the good news. There is nothing he will not forgive except the ongoing rejection of his offer to forgive. So please ask him for forgiveness. If you know your needs. And he will free us from everything you could be not be freed from by the law of Moses, we're told. Free from the penalty and control of all those things from which it was impossible to find release by the law of Moses. The law of Moses did not satisfactorily deal with sins. Neither does any religion today, by the way. Neither does doing good. None of those things actually release you from the guilt and penalty and power of sin, of rejection against Jesus. Only Jesus can forgive sins through his death and through his rising from the dead, to be the Lord and Saviour of all the world. Jesus uses his power to offer you ultimate forgiveness and freedom. But secondly, look what else Jesus offers his power for. Look at the next slide. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, Even if one tells it to you. In other words, what is he saying here? That take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. That if you are a scoffer, someone who scoffs at this offer of forgiveness, someone who scoffs at Jesus being Lord, then you are destined to perish. Because the unbelievable work that he is doing, right, a work in your days that you will not believe, that unbelievable work is to hand you over to your destiny if you continue in your rebellion against him. It's to give you what you want. If you want life without Jesus, then you'll get life without Jesus. And life without Jesus is a life without blessing. It's a life without life as it was meant to be. And you've got to choose which side to embrace, that of scornful scoffers against Jesus or those who ask Jesus for forgiveness and are freed from the guilt and penalty and power of sin. Where do you stand? Do you remember that email that was sent to Andrew Lubbock, my friend who was a former missionary in Italy. I cannot believe that you're so bigoted, so arrogant, so conceited that you can think that you can go to another country and call them to change the way they live. How do you have that right to do that, Andrew? Listen to Andrew's response. I have no right to do any of this at all. That's true. But Jesus does. Jesus has the right, because he is the Lord of heaven and earth. God did raise him up to have authority over every god and every galaxy, over every continent and every chemical, over every mountain and every molecule, over every habitat and every human in every part of the world. He is Lord of Cyprus. He is Lord of Pisidia. He is Lord of every nation, including Australia. And it is our prayer that you will gladly bathe in his forgiveness as your Lord, as your Saviour, and bring this best news in all the world to the world. For his glory. Well, we're going to pray. I think someone's going to lead us in prayer there is someone leading us in prayer. Let's pray together.
0: Hello, um, my name is Chloe and I'm a second year social work student. Um, I'm going to pray on behalf of everyone today. Um, So yeah, for those who don't know, praying is talking to God um, and depending on him for all things. If you'd like to pray with me, please bow your heads. Can everyone hear me? Um, heavenly father thank you for inviting us to ask for forgiveness and we pray that we can be convicted to ask for forgiveness because there is nothing you won't forgive thank you jesus for using your power to free us help us bathe in your forgiveness as our lord and savior thank you for such a great week of speaking to our fellow students about you and explaining that jesus is why. Thank you for the many conversations during our stall and the many walk-ups that students participated in. We pray that those who heard your word through these conversations would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that your word would not fall in deaf ears. We pray that we could continue to converse with others and share your word, and we pray that you, in your mercy, would be saving many. In addition to this, Father, we pray for the evangelicals at the Australian Catholic University and the New South Wales campus. We pray that you equip them to speak the truth and to share your word faithfully for your glory. We pray that they could engage students and encourage them to seek you and to worship you as their Lord and Saviour. Heavenly Father, we also pray for Focus, the international Christian group on our UOW campus. We pray for the many new students who attend the Thursday night talks and that they would be eager to read the Bible with domestic students. We pray that the international and domestic students would be keen to develop gospel-centred relationships with each other and that you would bless their interactions. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who listens. We thank you that you are always there for us and that you never leave us. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they will lean on you and trust in you with their whole heart. Whatever their burdens, I pray that they give them to you and have confidence that you hear them when they cry out. Amen. 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 Amen.